Hi. The next four shows of Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast will be a four-part series. The first two parts will be with Dr. Robert Schwartz discussing your soul's plan and your soul's gift and the concept of pre-birth planning. The third show will be a show all about past life regression with Michelle Brock, who's a past life regression therapist. And then the fourth show is going to be me telling you all about my past life regression, my experience with it, what I learned, how I found it helpful or not helpful. So please tune in to hear this four-part series. Today, I have Robert Schwartz on the show. In a personal session with a medium in 2003, author Robert Schwartz was astonished to speak with non-physical beings who knew everything about him, not just what he had done in life, but also what he had thought and felt. They told him that he had planned many of his most difficult experiences before he was born. Realizing that a knowledge of pre-birth planning would bring great healing to people and allow them to understand the deeper purpose of their life challenges, he devoted the next three years to studying the pre-birth plans of dozens of individuals. The extraordinary insights that emerged speak to our heartfelt, universal yearning to know why. Today, I am honored to welcome to the show Robert Schwartz, author of Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, and Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born. Welcome, Robert. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for your time. So, I'm not even sure where to begin on all of this because it's so amazing, but perhaps we begin at the beginning, which is, can you explain the concept of pre-birth planning? Because to me, it's a, it's a, I mean, I am entrenched in this work and I've been reading and, and following work for years. And this is a little bit difficult for me to wrap my mind around. I'd be happy to. Uh Pre-birth planning uh, is more or less what it sounds like. It means that you as a soul, as an eternal being, get together with the other souls with whom you are going to have a lifetime in incarnation. And in the non-physical realm, which is our home, you discuss before any of you are born what you would like to learn and how you want to go about learning it. So essentially what you're doing is creating a script or a play, and that's what life on Earth is. It's us playing roles that were scripted before we were born. Uh, now, this does not mean that everything is set in stone or predestined. That's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, we all have free will, and we can use our free will anytime we like to deviate from the pre-birth plan as much as we want to. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's an intersection between pre-birth planning and free will. And depending upon the free will choices you make, then you actualize certain potentials that were foreseen before you were born. Uh, and basically, when you distill it all down, what we are doing here is learning lessons in love, how to give love and how to receive love. That is the bottom line purpose for planning an incarnation on Earth. So can you explain what this sitting around discussing looks like? Because I think that oftentimes when I hear people asking questions about this, they're imagining like a group of people in a physical body, even though we're not in a physical body, just kind of hanging out, 
you know, maybe they're writing the script, but it doesn't look like that at all, right? It's, it's. Well, it, it, it looks somewhat like that. Uh, as I understand it, a person's life plan is created initially by their soul, what some people call the higher self. So what is a soul? A soul is a spark of God, and you, the personality, are a spark of your soul, a portion of your soul's energy in a physical body. So your life plan is set initially by your soul in consultation with God, uh, ascended masters, very wise, highly evolved beings, and your spirit guides who guide you through an incarnation after you get here. Now, once that plan is in place, uh, the personality is informed. This is the life plan. Uh, and most personalities, 99% or so, will say, that sounds great. I'd like to do that. Let's proceed. There's a very small percentage who start to experience human emotions of fear or doubt. Basically, they wonder, am I taking on too much if I agree to this plan? If you express fear or doubt then you are reassured by your soul and by your spirit guides that this plan is, in fact, for your highest good. At that point, the vast majority of souls who expressed doubt will say, okay, I'm on board with this. I agreed to the life plan. But there's a very small percentage who continue to express doubt that it may be too much. And if you continue to say that, then the plan is modified. So bottom line, you're not asked to do anything that you don't agree to before you come here. So when a soul group agrees to a plan, the souls then are birthed at different times, right? If I agree that my children are going to be my children and they're going to teach me these lessons and I'm going to teach them lessons, they might still hang around longer as a pure soul until they incarnate into a body. That's essentially correct. Although when you use the word longer, we have to... Uh understand there is no linear time in the non-physical realm. And this is why it makes it difficult to right. talk about this subject. Uh, but what you said is correct. You're, you would be born, obviously, before your children. They remain in the non-physical realm for some period of quote-unquote time until it's the appropriate moment for you to give birth to them. Okay. So in reading your book, I had a lot of questions because I'm a psychologist. So it brought up questions about my clinical work. And if our life is negotiated before we get here, and I know it's sort of like, it, it's not every detail, or is it every detail? It's not every detail, but some of the planning is quite detailed. It depends on how important something is. Uh, sometimes it's important to meet somebody just for a very short period of time because they're going to have a significant impact on your life. If that's the case, that sort of detail would be planned. Okay. So it could just be like a chance encounter with someone at Starbucks. You would think of it as a chance encounter, but in fact, it's not. It was something that you planned prior to birth. Okay. Right? Okay. So that's where kind of coincidence versus synchronicity or plan, I guess, comes into play, right? Well, yes, there are, there are things that are true coincidences. In other words, they're not planned by you before you're born. But some of the things that appear to be coincidences are not. They're very important, and that's why they are planned before you're born. Okay. So can we change at all the life that we that's been laid out for us. You know, people come to me with all kinds of issues. Is that part of their plan that they were going to end up in my office 
dealing with the issues or are they trying to change the plan of what's already set for them? You, you change your plan all the time. The average person is constantly amending their plan. And the way that's done is that when you are asleep at night, you leave the physical body and you return home to the non-physical realm in what is called your astral body or your spirit body. Mm -hmm. And so do the other significant people in your life. And then you talk about how is it going? Are we learning what we came here to learn? If the answer to that question is yes, then carry on. If the answer to that question is no, then you discuss what changes do we have to make so that we can learn what we came here to learn. Uh, but in addition to that, you can also ask, speak out loud to your guides or your higher self when you're awake and say, hey, I think this is just a little bit too difficult. Could we amend the plan to make things easier? And that sort of request is heard and uh, honored if it is, in fact, for your highest good. Ah, oh, that gives me a lot of hope. I mean, <laughs> guides even more than I already do. <laughs> and so where does... Where does free will then kind of play into all of this? Let me answer that question with a, a hypothetical story. Okay. Let's right. say that there is a soul who I will arbitrarily call Sally. And Sally has had a number of past lives in which she made certain plans before coming into body. But then when she got here, she had a tendency to defer to the wishes of others. She let other people tell her how to live her life. Mm -hmm. Not an uncommon thing to do. Mm-hmm. We have a life review at the end of every lifetime. In her life review, she would see that she has this tendency. And let's say she then decides to bring it back into body energetically for the purpose of healing it, not for the purpose of expressing it. So that's her life plan for her next incarnation. Can I stop you real quick? Yes. What do you mean by the difference of the purpose for, for healing it, not for the purpose of expressing it? In other words, when Sally has the life review at the end of the lifetimes in which she deferred to the wishes of others, she's very likely to feel that she was not, I'll call it self-referencing. In other words, she didn't see herself as the highest and best source of wisdom and knowledge for herself. She thought others knew better than she did. That's a disempowered way to live a lifetime. So when she sees that in the life review, she's going to want to heal that tendency. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So Sally plans to bring that tendency back into body to heal it. Now, let's say there's another soul in her soul group. We'll call this soul George. George has the opposite tendency. When he was in body in a number of past lives, he exercised power inappropriately over others. He told them how to live their lives. When he has his life review, he'll see that he has this tendency. And like Sally, he won't be happy about it. And so he too resolves to bring it back into body energetically, not for the purpose of expressing it, but for the purpose of healing it. Mm -hmm. So that's his plan. Okay. Now, because they're in the same soul group, Sally knows what George is planning. So she goes to him before either one of them is born, and she says something like, hey, George, I'm bringing back into body the tendency to defer to the wishes of others for the purpose of healing it. I see that you're bringing back into body the opposite tendency, the tendency to dominate others also for the purpose of healing it. Why don't we make a pre-birth plan that you and I will marry, say, at the age of 30? And although we know that this is likely to be a turbulent marriage, our hope is that I will learn to stand up for myself and you will learn to respect the wishes of others. And George says, this is a great idea. Let's do it. So that's their pre-birth plan with each other. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say that when Sally is here in body and 25 years old, 
She gets a job with an employer who's running roughshod over her, treating her with a lack of respect and kindness. And let's say she takes a stand. She says to the employer, stop. You may not treat me that way. If you want me to continue working here, you must treat me with respect and kindness. In the moment she takes a stand like that, there's a tremendous increase in her vibration, her frequency. Mm. If she can sustain the heightened vibration until she's age 30, now one of two things will happen. Either she and George never meet, because by virtue of the law of attraction, her vibration is so much higher than his, they go right by each other. Or if they do meet, there's no attraction. There's one date, and then nothing comes from it. Again, because their vibrations are so dissimilar. So in this hypothetical story, Sally has used her free will to learn the plan lesson to stand up for herself, which in turn obviates the need for the plan challenge, the turbulent marriage. That's the intersection of free will and pre-birth planning. Gotcha. So the, the experience came to her before it might have caused her a tremendous amount of struggle and pain. Yes, but the key thing there is that she used her free will to learn the plan lesson, which was to stand up for herself. She could also have used her free will not to learn the plan lesson, in which case she probably would have ended up marrying George at age 30, and then she has to learn to stand up for herself in the context of the turbulent marriage. Now, somebody who's... George, because he made this deal with Sally. Right, and that is a great question. He still has to learn his lesson to respect the wishes of others. So he will magnetize to himself other people, events, circumstances. It will give him ample opportunity to do that. And he will keep drawing those experiences to himself until he learns to respect the wishes of others. And most likely what will happen is every time he draws a new experience to himself to teach that lesson, it's going to come in increasingly intense form. This is basically how it works. If you aren't getting the lessons you plan to learn here on Earth, Opportunities keep coming, but they come in increasingly intense form each time. So if you notice that kind of pattern in your life, that is something to pay very close attention to. It's your soul trying very hard to get your attention about something. So is that, are all those encounters part of your plan or they become, if, if the main part of the plan was that George was going to meet Sally and they were going to work through this, but Sally got her lesson earlier, has George all along the way been faced with those challenges or do they start once Sally kind of diverts from the path and now George comes in and now his his experiences are getting more intense because he's not going to have Sally to work through that. It could be either one of those things. And it depends entirely on the plan George set up for himself. So perhaps he built into the plan opportunities to learn this lesson before he meets Sally, or perhaps he didn't. And he felt for some reason that he didn't want to take on that particular lesson until he entered into a relationship with her. It could be either. Okay. Wow. The important thing I I think to understand here is that when we talk about a plan for a lifetime, it does not mean that there's only a plan A. There is a plan A, but there's also a plan B, C, D, E, F, and on and on and on. So many so-called backup plans that take into account the free will of the personality. 
You know, the I researched uh, people's pre-birth plans for my books with the assistance of mediums and channels mm-hmm. who can access this kind of information. And one of the mediums has the ability to go into people's pre-birth planning sessions and hear the conversations we had with each other when we planned our lives. When she does that, she reports that spirit shows her something that looks like an incredibly vast and elaborate flowchart. But what is a flowchart? It's a series of decision points. If you do A, then B happens. If you do C, then D happens. That incredibly vast and intricate flowchart is her soul taking into account all the free will choices that could be made. So the average person is not executing plan A, which we could call the highest vibrational plan. The average person is executing one of the backup plans, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no judgment about it. That's how we learn here on Earth. So you called, you talked about if-then points in your book. Is that what you're talking about? That is what I'm talking about. Okay, so like if this happens, then we're going to divert from plan A, going to take a a different turn and go down this road. That's exactly right. You could think of it like a video game in which you have an avatar, a little character, and your objective is to advance the avatar from the lowest level to the highest level. And if you make skillful decisions, you advance quickly. If you make unskillful decisions, the little character gets killed, has to go back to the lowest level and start again. That's a a crude approximation of what is happening with somebody's life plan. If you make skillful decisions, which would mean loving decisions, then you advance very quickly. If you make unskillful, unloving decisions, then you draw to yourself painful experiences, not as a punishment, but as an opportunity to learn to be more loving. Mm -hmm. So you do a beautiful job of explaining karma. Can you give us your definition of karma, which is probably the definition of karma, but I think people misunderstand what karma really is. It's like if I do bad, bad things will come to me. If I do good, good things will come to me. I mean, it's, that's simplified, but. Yeah, that is, that is the common understanding, but that is really not what I have seen in my work. Mm-hmm. What I've seen is that karma is essentially unbalanced energy. It's when you feel incomplete with the previous experience. And so you then plan to have a new experience that energetically balances or offsets the previous experience. To take a simple example, let's say two people had a past life together in which one was ill and the other person was that person's caregiver. When those two people transition back into spirit at the end of that lifetime and have their life review, they may or may not feel complete with the caregiving relationship. If they feel complete with it, then there is no karma, and they go on to do something else. If they feel incomplete with it, the feeling of incompletion is the karma. So let's say they feel incomplete with it. How would they balance that? The easiest, simplest, most direct way is simply to trade places. So the one who was ill plans the life challenge of caregiving. The one who was the caregiver plans the life challenge of illness. That's essentially how it works. Okay. And so they balance it in their next life. That's correct. They balance it in their next lifetime. And it's, it's important to note here, they decide for themselves we're complete with this experience or not. They are not told by God or some being or some counsel external to them, you have karma here. There is no such thing. They decide we're complete or we're not. And if they feel 
feel incomplete with it. That is the karma. And what's the end game in all of this? You know, you said earlier love, and I've heard that oftentimes, right? It's all about learning how to love. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way, because we are recording yeah. Valentine's Happy Day. Happy Valentine's to you, too. about this. Yeah. Uh, the end game, so to speak, uh, as I understand it, is that you keep raising your vibration and advancing to higher and higher vibrational dimensions until eventually you remerge, reintegrate back into source or God, whatever term you want to use. And then after spending some quote-unquote time there, uh, then the cycle starts again. And you just keep doing this over and over. Uh, it's all about expansion, learning, healing, growth, mm -hmm. basically becoming more loving. Mm -hmm. So you talk in the book about illness, death, suffering, addiction, being a choice. And I think people, you know, certainly people who I've spoken to who have experienced, like, you know, tragedies feel like that, um, why would someone choose something like that? Or why would I need to learn this lesson? I mean, I've heard that from people when, we're, when, I, when we've talked about it in therapy over time and sometimes I'll say well what do you think the lesson is and sometimes that can be really hurtful to people for them to hear that they had to experience such a, a death of a child a death of a, a spouse at a young age um, addic you know suffering through an addiction of a child as as unfair or painful does that mean that what does that mean this is a very difficult concept to wrap one's mind around, especially when the idea is new to someone. Uh, the important thing to understand here is that your perspective when you're home on the, in a non-physical realm, planning a lifetime, is very different from your perspective once you're here in body. One of the main differences is that from the non-physical vantage point, a lifetime is very, very brief. It's here and it's gone like a clap of thunder. Now, when you're in body, especially if you're suffering, it can seem interminable, but that's not at all how it looks to you from the other side. Another big difference is that from the other side, you're very much aware that no one is permanently harmed by anything that happens here. You may or may not know that while you're in body, but you do know that from the other side. And the third big difference in perspective is that from the other side, you know that the wisdom, the growth, the healing, the learning become part of you literally for all eternity. So from that perspective, that a lifetime is very brief, no one is permanently harmed by anything that happens here, and yet the wisdom becomes part of you for all eternity, it actually does make sense that souls would plan to take on very difficult challenges. Okay. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, 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 I can understand it. I'm just listening to, you know, friends, listeners saying, <clears throat> yeah, that it just seems, it seems, people ask all the time, like, why do we have to suffer, right? And I know there's a difference. I've talked in other podcasts about the difference between pain and suffering. But I think people often ask that question. And especially when I think about huge sort of global issues like the Holocaust or we'll take like, you know, sh 
school shootings and it just seems so senseless is the is the purpose that as a collective we have to learn to raise our collective vibrational level like that these individual souls are kind of um I don't know. I don't want to say like taking a taking a bullet, but basically, but taking a bullet for the collective to grow. Well, the, that is in a sense how it works. And let me give you a specific example that illustrates that. You'll recall that uh, a number of years ago there was a tsunami that hit Southeast Asia. About a hundred thousand people were killed. I have asked about that in the channeling sessions I did for Your Soul's Plan and Your Soul's Gift. And what I was told is that those one hundred thousand or so people chose before they were born to lift the vibration, the frequency of the whole planet. In other words, they said, we want the vibration of Earth to be at a certain point uh, at, in linear time. And if it looks like it's not going to get there, we agree to give our lives in a large-scale natural disaster because we know that the result of that disaster will be a worldwide outpouring of love and compassion. Well, in fact, that's exactly what happened. You had all the governments of the world temporarily put aside their differences to funnel aid into Southeast Asia. That loving, compassionate gesture raised the frequency of the whole planet. So those 100,000 or so souls who died, they accomplished exactly what they set out to do. But it's not, like, let's look, can we look at 9-11 for an example? Like, initially, right, that happened, but then it turns towards back towards kind of war and destruction. Now, 9-11, I have not researched, so I, I can't comment on that specifically. But coming back to this, the tsunami example, there are a lot of things like that that are planned before we're born. They're a collective undertaking by a large number of souls. And the intention is to raise the frequency of the entire planet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there's an old saying that uh, where you stand depends upon where you sit. This is a good example of that because if you are a human being who sits in the third dimension, then where you stand on the tsunami is that it was a terrible tragedy. And certainly from a human point, it was. Mm -hmm. But if you're, say, a spirit guide who, quote-unquote, sits in the fourth dimension, then where you stand on the tsunami is that it was a tremendous blessing to the world. There you have two diametrically of posed viewpoints and yet both are correct from the perspective of the observer for your next book can you figure out 9-11 for me come back uh, I, I can look into that yes so we're gonna um we're actually gonna split this interview into two parts because there's so much to talk about here and i like to keep my podcast to about 20-25 minutes so my uh, listeners can typically get to work. Usually that's, that's how I think of it. So I just wanted to thank you today. We're going to regroup uh, next week, but can you just tell the listeners where they can find the work that you are doing? Yes. My first book is Your Soul's Plan. My second book is Your Soul's Gift. Uh, both books are true stories of free birth planning, stories of individuals who planned big challenges before they were born. You can find them on my website, which is YourSoulsPlan.com, or on Amazon, or any bookstore, or ask your library to order them in. Great, and thank you so much for your time today. I greatly appreciate it. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? 
You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.